Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Chris Cheney, and I'm the Senior Clinical Care Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we'll be discussing physician leadership in 2024 healthcare predictions with Robert Samari, MD, Executive Vice Chancellor at University of Kansas Medical Center, Franklin E. Murphy Professor of Cardiology at University of Kansas School of Medicine, and author of A Prescription to Lead. First, a note from our sponsor. Medical knowledge doubles every 73 days, causing cognitive overload and burnout among health professionals who are striving to treat patients effectively. Give your team's clinical answers directly at the point of care. Visit go.update.com forward slash health leaders underscore podcast to learn more. Rob, thanks so much for being here. Chris, thanks so much for having me. It's a delight. Looking forward to our discussion. Excellent. Let's get into our discussion. Tell me about code switching and communication. Chris, uh, code switching is an interesting linguistic term that really implies the switching of languages or variants of languages when discussing, when, when communicating with different groups. In medicine, it's something we learn very early that communication with our patients, their families, other physicians is really important, but yet requires different varieties of the English language to do so. It's said that at medical school, we learn about as many words as the as an average human learns in their lifetime. So we learn about twice as many words to, des- to describe uh, our situation. And so finding the right variant of language to speak with each group is critically important. As leaders, we find ourselves in the same situation. Sometimes with our senior leadership groups, it takes technical, financial, uh, scientific or medical language that uh, is necessary for communicating, but bringing that language to our staff or to the outside communities in which we work might not be appropriate. So as physicians, we learn very early how to code switch between language variants. I think it's really important to bring those same skill sets to our, uh, to our, 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 uh, our roles as leaders. Uh, it is very frustrating for people uh, to maybe in the community who are being told uh, uh, very detailed uh, business-oriented language or detailed uh, scientific language when they don't understand it. So I think code switching and leadership is very important, and it's something that we need to keep in mind as we uh, both uh, train leaders and assess and develop leaders throughout our organizations. Excellent. How can leaders serve as mentors and coaches? Chris, uh, it's a great question, and perhaps in in somewhat uh, to uh, to let the audience know, I lead on the university side of the University of Kansas Medical Center. We have a separate uh, hospital system, health system, so I come at it very much from the academic university education scholarship uh, research side of, of of the house. So some of my answers today in our discussion may well be weighted towards that side of the uh, the equation in an academic medical center. That being said, the physician uh, leader, as they develop, 
generally has the at least the best of them have a number of uh, mentors, coaches, uh, advisors, supporters, sponsors as they grow without their throughout their academic and leadership career. I think it's really important as current leaders that we continue to serve as mentors and coaches throughout the organization. That might be something as simple as working uh, with junior and aspiring leaders within the organization, but it can also be working with junior and aspiring clinicians or students uh, or staff members who are rising within the organizations. I think we all need time on our schedules to continue to serve as mentors and coaches, not just in those that we uh, directly supervise, but more broadly in the organization. I think it builds uh, bench strength. It builds uh, opportunities for others to seek leadership uh, positions in other organizations. And it really is one of those uh, very rewarding aspects of being a leader to continue to be a mentor and a coach. And it builds uh, it builds a community of leaders throughout the organization. Great. Talk to me about personnel and leadership pipelines. Chris, I think we are in a very interesting time of personnel uh, pipelines in healthcare in the United States. It has been estimated that we will be 1.3 million nurses short in 2030 in this country. 1.3 million nurses. There's not a healthcare leader in the United States that couldn't use 15, 20, 25, 30% more nursing staff. And that's just nursing, not to mention all the other health professions. And as predicted by the AAMC, physician shortage of 90 to 120,000 uh, physicians in the offing. So our pipelines for our health professionals is critical in the United States at this time. What are we going to do about that? Well, it's actually not very clear. It's also not very clear that a single solution will take care of all the problems that have been that I've just outlined. So, for instance, we cannot likely train enough nurses in new programs across the country to meet that shortage of 1.3 million nurses. Why can't we? Well, even if we wanted to open up more nursing schools and we had the resources to do so, we could not find nursing faculty sufficient enough to train those nurses. So while there are opportunities being taken up across the country to start new nursing programs back within hospitals or regions to meet hospital or regional goals, that is not likely a sufficient effort to increase the number of nurses nationwide. So then we have to think more than just training. We need to think about retention. Keeping nurses in uh, hospital-based settings is a challenge. Uh, as we've seen with uh, throughout the pandemic that has, has worsened that challenge, retention must be part of the, uh, of the uh, solution long-term. In addition, are we going to be bringing nurses from outside the United States or from outside our regions? Uh, to, to the United States to train, or are we going to adapt this uh, scarcity of nurses by changing the way people work within inpatient and outpatient settings? I think it's going to take a little bit of all those answers, and it's going to it needs to be coordinated because a workforce without 1.3 million nurses 
in seven years is a, is is hard for me to understand, quite frankly, how we're going to get that done. It's going to take a lot of us. In the same manner, that could be said for respiratory therapy or occupational therapy or any of the other health professions. I think on the physician side, that training uh, and retention can go a long way. I think that uh, we're opening up new medical schools. We're increasing the capacity of our current medical schools. And quite, think, and quite frankly, I think the great resignation probably was not as great as, as uh, many had, had predicted during COVID. I'm, I am worried, but less worried about physicians than I, I am about nursing in the health professions. Do, do, you, do you hear that as a common concern, Chris, amongst health professionals, health leaders? Absolutely. There's definitely a tightness in the physician market that we haven't seen really ever before. And I'm wondering when it comes to physicians in particular, what are some of the recruitment and retention strategies that health systems and hospitals should be employing? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, most physicians, like most people, and I'm a, a big fan of, of of Daniel Pink, his strategy on on that he outlined in his book Drive, but you know, with autonomy and mastery being two parts of the equation as, as to why we do what we do. I think physicians are uh, need to have uh, the availability of mastering their craft, uh, whether it be in the way they see patients, the way they treat patients, the way they operate on patients. So providing them the opportunities to practice at the height of their uh, expertise, I think is one way we keep physicians uh, sort of satisfied and well positioned in the workplace. I think autonomy is the challenge as we've seen, you know, physicians moving towards uh, employment, employment in large health systems. I think autonomy is is a bit of a of a challenge as as we go forward, but trying to build surrogates for autonomy, uh, surrogates uh, for um, providing physicians the capacity to control some of their practice uh, issues is really important. And then obviously dealing with the non-patient care aspects, the aspects of uh, electronic medical record and, and, and other documentation, trying to limit those is, is really important. I, I think that we are likely to have systems uh, competing each other for the best and brightest, and those that achieve those goals uh, will likely uh, will likely come out best. The other issue, obviously, is well-being, which is just it's just a national and international issue in healthcare right now, and one that uh, we have a lot of solutions still to look for, uh, Chris, regarding the well-being of our staffs. Excellent. How do you how do you build diverse teams, Chris? It's been clear from from data in the last uh, couple decade that diverse care teams uh, provide better uh, better outcomes uh, more culturally competent care uh, in the healthcare system in the healthcare uh, workplace so building diverse teams within the our organizations has been a important goal that's been recognized for the last last few decades i think we are all striving to know how to answer that that question best how do we build diverse teams for us at the, at the University of Kansas Medical Center, uh, I think that part of the answer has been uh, to build uh, diverse leaders. If there's a diverse leadership team that's making uh, decisions, uh, they will end up making better decisions. 
and decisions that serve uh, diverse communities better than than having than not having a diverse leadership team. Similarly, if there's not a diverse leadership team, then all aspects of a question, a concern, a decision cannot be represented at the table. And those decisions that are made there are less likely to serve a broad, diverse community. So I think the most important aspect of building diverse teams, diverse organizations, is just to go right at the top and to build diverse leadership teams. Without that, I don't think the problem can be addressed. And with it, while it can be addressed, and there's still a lot more work to be done, at least the discussions are broad enough to take uh, more viewpoints into account. The second is, while it's important to have, and, and I would argue, probably necessary to have a diverse leadership team, we also have to have inclusive cultures because just bringing diverse teams together and diverse uh, work uh, forces together is only part of the story. We have done we have done uh, surveys in the past, and the one thing that uh, have, has been really striking is that a single campus, a single organization, a single health system, can look quite different depending upon where you are in the in the in the in your view as being sort of a majority or minority representative within that organization. I think we all lead multiple organizations that live within our single organization. And so the question is, how do we make our organizations just, uh, fair, inclusive, to bring those two viewpoints? How does my organization look to our minority members versus how does our organization look to our majority members? Trying to bring those together is the next most important thing uh, that uh, that an organization has to has to deal with, has to strive for. Great. How can healthcare organizations? You mentioned well-being. So how can healthcare organizations use well-being as a staff retention tool? Yeah, I, Chris. Great, great question. The idea that well-being well-being is a is a meaningful step towards retention. The, the the healthier, the happier, the more content, uh, the less burned out uh, employee, uh, the more likely they are to be retained. Now, how we get there, obviously, is the, is the important challenge. I think that uh, the retention strategies across our healthcare systems, whether it be for uh, leaders, uh, physicians, uh, nurses, health professionals, may actually be quite different. There may be similar themes that, and some of those themes we've already talked about, uh, providing a sense of autonomy, uh, practice at the at the height of their uh, of their training, et cetera. But it also means surrounding uh, people with the services that are necessary for them to maintain their uh, health and well-being. Obviously, we are in the middle of a mental health crisis in the United States, and our healthcare workers are really on one of the leading edges of that crisis. Of that crisis, so providing people with opportunities uh, to seek uh, healthcare when necessary for uh, counseling, uh, for supportive services, uh, these are the goals that we all uh, strive for. We are part of a national academy effort on uh, clinician well-being, and I think that 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 group has taken an important role in sort of understanding 
how we first document well-being amongst our clinicians, and then how we strive as organizations to increase well-being. I think uh, if we are successful, the uh, healthier employee will be easier to retain, be retained and will likely be retained in the future. So I think, I think well-being is a cornerstone, and I would direct our listeners to that National Academy uh, well-being toolbox that they have and, and, and websites that provide information on clinician well-being. I'm proud of being part of that uh, organization and uh, proud of uh, some of the efforts moving forward. Excellent. What are your predictions for healthcare in 2024? You know, you, Chris, your comment, uh, the comment earlier about medical knowledge doubling every seven, every 73 days uh, really uh, demonstrates the fact that as healthcare leaders and as those involved in the healthcare system, we have to be, uh, we have to be lifelong learners and we have to be uh, lifetime accustomed and comfortable around a great change. 2024, I think, is going to continue a bit of the rocky road uh, that we saw in 23 with margins being very margins being very tight, with healthcare pipelines being quite uh, quite a challenge with trying to maintain uh, open beds in our hospitals and open clinics with fewer nurses and health professions, with physicians uh, shortages being present. I think uh, personnel pipelines uh, are going to be a challenge uh, going forward, and it's it's only likely to get worse in in 2024. As some of the uh, uh, some of the outcomes from COVID are still going to be felt, people that uh, were burned out will continue to switch to other parts or fall out of the healthcare system. I think there's one other challenge I'd like to mention, Chris, and that is as leaders of, of healthcare systems and academic healthcare systems, I think the relationships with our communities is becoming a more acute need for us as leaders. Uh, we often sit as large, sometimes not tax generating bases within our communities. Our employees often come from surrounding parts uh, of, our, uh, of our metropolitan areas and not necessarily those that abut our medical centers. And this community academic medical center relationship, I think is getting uh, more and more challenging, but also providing more and more opportunities of how we can integrate with our systems and become more seen as healthy parts of a growing community, rather than something that maybe just sucks resources out of our uh, sometimes more urban environments. I think our community relations are going to be critically important. And Chris, in some ways, it comes back to the original discussion of code switching. How do we communicate the value of our organizations within our communities? I think is going to be really important in 2024. So I think the workforce uh, uh, pipeline challenges are going to remain. And I would ask uh, those of us who are find ourselves in these situations working in in uh, uh, large academic or large healthcare systems within communities, are we doing everything we can to be good community partners and to bring our raise our communities at the same time we're raising the opportunities for healthcare within our systems? I guess that would be my predictions for 2024. Rob, it's been wonderful talking with you. Chris, I appreciate it. And I, I hope, uh, I hope uh, that we've uh, shed some light on an interesting time 
in our, our roles as uh, health leaders. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast.